Here in studio, we have Carlo Alcos. Carlo is a videographer, documentary filmmaker, location sound recordist, sound designer, and mixer. You'll find him filming everything from live music to extreme sports. Carlo is currently working on a documentary which will explore the themes of identity and belonging from his perspective as a second-generation Filipino-Canadian. Welcome, Carlo. Thank you for having me, Sheena. Well, it's pretty special to have you here with us because you usually are with us behind the mic as our sound recordist and editor. But now here you are sitting in front of it, and I get to ask you some questions. Here I am. <laughs> here you are. So I'm sure many of us think we know, but really have no idea what a filmmaker does or a sound recordist. And I want you to please paint a picture for us of what somebody in your shoes working with a skill set you have actually does for your job. Sure. Um I like to call myself a documentary filmmaker just to specify that. I don't generally work on narrative films, although I would love to one day. But uh, for now, I, I, as a documentary filmmaker and as a videographer, what I essentially do is help people tell their stories. Um, it's something I'm passionate about. I like to elevate voices. And as a sound recordist, and as a post-production sound designer and editor, I basically just work with sound. I, I, I help capture the best audio that I can on productions. And then when it comes to post-production, um, it might be cleaning up bad audio. It could be adding sounds um, and then mixing it. So to the final sound of what you would hear uh, when watching one of my films. So to that end, um, doing all of those particular things that you've just listed for us, what is one of the most meaningful projects you've gotten to work on where you've gotten to employ that list of skills that you have? Yeah, thanks for the question. I, it's hard to think of a specific project. Um, I work a lot with nonprofit organizations in Nelson, and I find that work very meaningful because these are excellent organizations in our community. And what I'm most, what I just mentioned, I'm most passionate about about elevating voices, particularly voices that are underrepresented, um, that have historically been marginalized. So that when I get to do that, which is quite often, that's the work that I find most meaningful. Huh, and so... Am I right that you've gotten to have a bit of a balance between commercial work and nonprofit work? Am I right in this? Yeah, the 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 sometimes the I'm even confused about the terminology that's used sometimes. So when I think of commercial work, maybe when most people think of commercial work, they're thinking about businesses or corporations. Um, I look at it as basically work that I'm hired for and paid money to do. So. In that context, I think the work I, I consider the work that I do for nonprofits commercial. So, just to make that distinction, um, what I would consider outside commercial work are my own projects, my own passion projects, the projects that I, you know, go and seek grant funding for, like the current documentary I'm working on now. Um, those are those I would consider outside of the commercial world, but I. So I, I do suppose I would consider the, the work I do for nonprofits commercial too. 
Got but it. yes, it, it is a it's a blend. It's a mix. Um, I have to make a living somehow, and I'm very fortunate to be able to do this and make a living. You know, while living in a, a rural location, it's not the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm, no kidding. And so, you've already kind of given us a, a little bit of a taste teaser here. Can you tell me about this document documentary you're currently working on? Because you have turned the camera on yourself for this one. I have. So mm-hmm. this is a new thing for me and it's it's scary and it's very vulnerable and revealing. Um, but yeah, I've chosen to put myself into this film. Um, it's a documentary that is going to explore identity and the idea of belonging because I was born in Canada. I'm the one of four um, boys uh, my parents immigrated in 1971. I was the only one of my family who was born in Canada. And where I grew up in a suburb of Vancouver, it was a, a very white place. I was one of maybe two or three other visible minorities. And so when I reflect back on that, at, you know, being middle-aged now, I can really start to put words and concepts to what I went through at the time where at that age as a, you know, in elementary school years growing up, I wouldn't have been able to. Um, So things like, you know, in my, I I often talk about this memory I have of being a kid and having a shower and scrubbing my skin really hard to try to basically be more white. And this wasn't because I was teased or bullied or there was no blatant racism, you know, towards me, but internally, without any of that, internally I knew that I was different just because not just the neighborhood was white, but the culture, the media, everything said to me that being white was normal. So I wasn't white. I was out of the normal. And so, yeah, that's that's what that I think is what really interests me in this is this idea that you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to experience blatant racism to have it, to have racism, systemic racism affect you. And so that's, uh, so it's basically looking back on that time and, and then charting forward, you know, how that has affected me throughout my life. Hmm. And so... This project and having the camera on yourself and digging into the stories that you're digging into, do you feel a shift in your relationship to your ancestral identity, to your Filipino heritage? Can you tell us a little a little bit about that personal journey for you? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the one of the biggest things. Um, because of this project, I am exploring my uh, my roots, my family history, my culture. Um, growing up, I never, I didn't learn the language. I didn't know much about the culture other than when it was, you know, when we would have large family reunions or dinners or something, I, I would experience some culture through that. Um, but I wasn't explicitly taught culture or, or language. I'm 47 now, and at no other time in my life have I been interested in learning about my family history and culture um, for whatever reasons. The reasons probably changed over time, but this is a time in my life where it is now 
a very important thing to me. And um, I'm just happy that I'm able to explore it now. And I've, I've shifted so much. I've learned so much. And I can't, I can't, uh, I can't let this question slip by. Why do you think it's at this time you're drawn to finally explore this part of yourself? What, what is it about this? What is it? Yeah. yeah. No, it's a really good question. I've, I've wondered that myself. Like, why wasn't it, why didn't it happen earlier? Why was I never interested in it when I was younger? I mean, before I get, before I try to answer that, I will say that, you know, and maybe I alluded to this earlier that, in my younger days, I was even ashamed to be Filipino. You know, mm. there was that, that shame existed. So that to me is a clear reason why I wouldn't have been interested at that time anyway of, of learning more about my past because I was ashamed of it. Um, I'm older now. I have hopefully more wisdom. <laughs> um, I think to answer the question, though, more specifically, I can attribute it to the growth of the Filipino community in Nelson. When I moved here in 2010, there was a clear lack of diversity. Um, walking around Baker Street, you know, Nelson's Main Street, I it was kind of rare to see another brown person. Um, but, you know, starting, I don't know, four or five, six years ago, I started to notice more diversity, is increasing populations, particularly in the Filipino community and Indian community. And so that really intrigued me. And of course, I went on Facebook and found a group because I knew that I knew they would exist. <laughs> um, and there was I found uh, the Nelson Filipino Community Society of BC. This is they're actually a registered nonprofit organization. They've, they've they're really well organized, and they you know they do a lot to support other Filipinos that are coming into the country that have already that have arrived in the country and not only that they also volunteer within the community so they do a lot of really really great work um, but I just started reaching out to this community to members in the community I, I met I met some of them I attended a couple of their events they, they do they like to put on events you know it could be you know, something for Christmas or for Halloween, or uh, they play basketball and volleyball. Um, so yeah, so I just I went to a couple of events, and, and I've you know I've slowly made made friends with uh, some people from that community, and that's uh, part of what is is driving this as well. Yeah, because I mean to to further this, um, one thing that I noticed too is when, when I would go to these events or when I would spend time with um, these other Filipinos, of course I didn't fit in because I don't have the same cultural relationship, right? I can't relate to them on a cultural level. I don't speak their language. So there's those barriers that exist. So it just puts me in a very interesting place, I think, where I feel like, like I've always felt like I fit in and belonged in Canada. You know, like I feel like I'm, you know, quote unquote, as Canadian as the next Canadian, as anyone else. Um, but at the same time, it's contradictory. I, I, have a, I have a conflict inside me that where I don't quite fit in, and I definitely don't fit into this community of people who come from where I came from. Oh, my goodness gracious. That's such a potent place to be and... I can only imagine, and I think I know a little bit from my own experience, that individuals who are f 
who are exploring being a part, their heritage, exploring their heritage, and yet are recognizing all of the ways in which they don't fit into their, into that heritage community. Um, so Carlo, how do you feel? Because this project is still ongoing. It's not yet been released. It's still developing. So how does it feel to know that you are revealing such a personal story for the for the world potentially to have access to? What's that like for you at this stage? Um, yeah, like I said, it's a bit scary. I mean, I have no idea how people are going to respond to it. What I have found, though, in the little bit of, you know, it, I'm on Instagram. I People know about the project. Some people know about the project. Um, and what I've heard many times from people is how much they resonate with it. So that has been very, you know, validating, I think, for me in that regard. So that's nice. Um, you know, I am far away from completing this. It's I'm looking at a late 2024 completion of the film. And, um, you know, when we're at that stage and when I have a better idea of how the shape that this is going to take... I might have a better answer. Um, so I, at this point, I just, I don't know. But it again, it's, uh, you know, I think like anyone who's doing this kind of stuff, uh, there's fear and there's there's the classic imposter syndrome. There's, you know, there's all these questions like, who am I to do this? Or what am I doing? You know, it, it fluctuates. <laughs> oh, yeah. As you have alluded to earlier, um, it sounds like, equity, diversity, and inclusion, representing historically ma marginalized and underrepresented groups is something that you hold really dear. So what does that, what does that look like in your work or as your practice, or, or in your practice, forgive me? Yeah, um, I think, and just to kind of go back to like what the why of this, mm -hmm. um, you know, going back to my childhood again, it's, it's the, the media that I saw, the, the stuff that I was into, the TV shows, the music and everything that I was into, you know, you rarely saw a visible minority in these spaces. And so for a long time, I I was entertained by this, um, but I didn't necessarily think that it was for me, that I could inhabit these spaces. When I started to see more diversity, you know, whether it was um, in rock music or just or just in the shows I was watching, um, especially rock music. You know, that that was when I would see a brown person on stage. I was like, oh, because I was into music. I was very into music. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe I could maybe I could do this, too. Or hockey, you know, um, these places that are just dominated by by white people. Um, so that's kind of. You know, on a very deep level, I understand the importance of representation. I know what it means. When you watch, you know, when The Little Mermaid came out, the new one, I haven't watched it yet, but I know she's black. And when you, I've seen the reaction videos, I don't know if you've seen these, but there are reaction videos where black moms are showing their black daughters this Little Mermaid, and they are losing their minds. They are so excited, and that... Um, yeah. Are you getting emotional? Because I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th yeah. that just really speaks to the importance of representation. And um, yeah, so a lot of the work that I do does forward that. You know, I do a lot of work 
I'm, I'm very fortunate to do some work with indigenous communities. Um, and I'm so grateful to do that. And, you know, ideally, you know, it's, it's an indigenous person in my shoes doing this, but if that's not possible and, you know, I, I, when I work on these projects, I'm so trying to remain so just uber sensitive to, um, you know, their wants and their needs and make sure that I, as much as possible, get out of the way, you know, like I, in those instances, I see myself as a conduit. Um, and so I want them to tell their stories. I can help put it together in the way that they're happy with. Um, yeah, so that's how I see my role in that. And then, I mean, the do- a big aspect of our big motivating factor for this documentary is that is I, I want to diversify the media landscape more. So if I can add to it, I will. So I want to bring us back to the, the young Carlo, the little boy scrubbing at his skin. What do you think it would have been like for you to witness the piece that you adult Carlo is creating now? If that little boy could have access to what you are creating now, what do you think that would, could mean <laughs> wow. for him? Yeah, what could that? I guess. I suppose there would be a better understanding of acceptance, maybe. Um, and again, it's not that I didn't feel accepted. I did. My my, you know, who my friends at the time were. There was. I didn't I never felt like I was ostracized or anything like that. But there's something deeper than that I think that was at at play. And even if it's just internal, it's it's important. Um But yeah, I guess if 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 he could see what I was doing now and just know that um it's okay basically, you know? It's okay to be different. Maybe it's even better to be different. You know, I have a, my oldest brother, he's 10 years older than me, but he was a, he was a punk rocker in like, you know, the late seventies and eighties when, at a time when punk rock really was punk rock, you know, punk is different today, but that was the time when they truly were outcasts and counterculture. And I have asked him about, you know, did you feel, um, outside, you know, did you feel like you didn't fit in and his while thinking around, you know, he was a punk rocker. So his way of looking at it as a punk rocker was he was brown and a punk rocker. That made him even more punk, you know, and I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had that attitude at that time, but, um, you know, we live and we grow up and we learn. Yeah. I know that you are a man with your fingers in several different pots and I want to make room for some of the other projects. And I would love to turn our attention to something I know or I believe I've heard is really meaningful to you, and that is your work as a sound recordist. And, and that, that, that is an entire universe of, of, of artistic work and skill and knowledge, and a lot of us don't think very much about it. So can you tell us about that passion of yours? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that um, because it is often overlooked. It it really is overlooked. Um, I think anyone who works in sound will feel the same way when they say that 
Yeah, it's it's underappreciated. When something sounds good in a film, you don't notice it because you just because that's just what it is. You know, you you think that's just the way it's supposed to sound. But if something doesn't sound good, you definitely notice it. So, what people you'll often hear people say, you know, you can watch uh, a poorly shot film with great sound, but try to watch a, a well shot film with bad sound. You know, and it's a much different. Uh, experience. So I don't know. It's, it's, um, I have a tendency to gravitate towards things that put me in the background and that are a little unappreciated. For example, I play bass. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I play a few other instruments too, but I, I, bass is what I really love playing. And it's one of the, it's one of those things too, where that's, very much underappreciated. No one notices the bass player. <laughs> They're just standing <laughs> in a corner. Um, and what I think what's interesting, though, is I gravitate towards these things, and I like to tell myself that maybe this is an ego thing. I like to tell myself that I'm the unsung hero or, you know, I'm, I'm in that kind of realm. But then on the other hand, there is there is a part of me that that also wants to be recognized, and also wants to be acknowledged. So it's this really weird tug of war between these two things because I really do genuinely love being in the background and doing these things that other people might not notice, but then I also want to be noticed. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. And so I think you're getting a little, quite a bit of that with the project Mo Crazy Strong because I understand your sound work is receiving some international notice. Could you tell us a little bit about that project and your work for that project? Sure, yeah. And, and I love um, when you say international, it makes it sound so fancy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a documentary um, produced by uh, Mark Lockie and um, Jamie Crane Mosey, who is the skier in the film. Mark Lockie, uh, I met him. He used to live in Kimberley. Um, he's now, I believe, in Calgary. But he brought me on board as the uh, sound designer and mixer. And the film is a story about uh, Jamie, who is an ex-Olympic skier, freestyle skier. And she had a terrible accident. I don't remember the year, but um, this is some years ago. She had a terrible accident and she almost died. Uh, She ended up with a traumatic brain injury, but she made a you know, uh, incredible recovery. And today she is an advocate for um, traumatic brain injury and a motivational speaker. That's the story of the film. And so, yeah, my part in it basically was to build the world of this, of what the, you know, where the film took place, which is a lots of, you know, as you would expect, skiing shots. Um, So it was essentially sound editing and then adding all of the sounds to put you in those locations. Because when I got the project, there was very little sound in it. So you would, it was almost like, you know, other than the, the voices of the people speaking, it was like, almost like watching a silent movie. So um, to me, that's so satisfying. <laughs> it's so satisfying when someone who watches it 
and this is what I mean when it sounds not noticed, because they watch this stuff and they think, oh, that's just what, that's someone skiing. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but without realizing that all the work that went into adding those sounds in post-production and creating this, and, and the whole point of, of um, you know, the sound design is to make it invisible or transparent to a viewer. Yeah, and so to, to talk a, a little bit about the the accolades it was getting, it was nominated for, there was a few awards it was nominated for at the, um, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but I believe it's Palladino, uh, no, I'm not even going to try because <laughs> it's, the name is, it's an Italian um, sports film festival. Um, Apparently, it's the longest-running sports festival of its kind in the world. It's the 43rd year this year. And, yeah, it was nominated for Best Sound Mix. Um, I know it was nominated and it actually won for Best Lead. Uh, so, Jamie, congratulations, Jamie, on that. <laughs> uh, and there might have been one or two other nominations. Um, yeah, so I, I don't believe the Sound Mix won, but I'm just proud to have been acknowledged in that way. I mean, oh, it's yeah. what, a, what an honor. Um you know, win or not. Oh, yeah. Wow. And I really, I really respect and appreciate this. Yeah, the language of the unsung hero, because you're right. So many of us foolishly assume that the muse, the, the sound score of, uh, of something that we're watching and enjoying is just organically a part of it. And no, there's a whole universe of, of expertise and knowledge into crafting what we are experiencing absolutely and this is you know i always i always think about dune i don't know if you've watched dune but it's it won best sound design in like as a, a it won an oscar for best sound design and it's it's a science it's a, it's science fiction and just like any other science fiction movie there are many things that don't exist in the real world right but when you're watching these things and you're hearing them you don't question it you just, it just it sounds like what it should sound like but someone creatively made that sound from nothing, you know? They attributed a sound to this thing that doesn't exist in the real world. That's magic. It is. <laughs> it is. But when you're watching it, the, the whole point is when you're watching it that you're not distracted by it, right? That it just, it blends seamlessly. I'm honestly learning something right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm here to educate. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Okay, so... I think I'm ready to ask you our million-dollar vibrant basin question, Ooh, which is, how has your artistic practice? And I know you do a lot of things, so you can you can you can sense which one you want to lean into. But how has your artistic practice shaped, shattered, or simply shifted your understanding of yourself, your heritage, or the community you live in? Yeah, I, th I think I have a couple of answers, and, and one of the most obvious to me is my current project, Outsiderness, the documentary, has obviously shifted me in regards to how I'm exploring my history and my culture, and just talking to lots of other Filipinos. Um, they might be new Filipinos who've just arrived in Canada or been here a few years, but also other, like me, second-generation gen, second Filipinos who were born and raised in Canada. Um, it's also, I'm talking to my family a lot more, hmm. um, to my parents, to my, to my brothers, and uh, I'm learning a lot more about my family history through them, which is, com you know, these are conversations that have never been, I've never had them, and I don't think anyone in my family has ever really discussed these things too. This definitely to this extent. So, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing for me. And you know, my parents are getting are getting older, um, and I think 
you know, when you talk about timing, I feel like it's a really important time as well to capture these things um, before it's too late, right? When I think about my journey and just what I, you know, what I find myself doing these days, I used to work in a corporate office. You know, I used to do IT work and I did that for a long time. And at one point I thought that's probably what I was going to do for the rest of my life. So to think about, you know, the journey that I've gone on to get into media into something that I love to do has changed me profoundly hmm. um, and has allowed me to express my creative side a, a lot more than IT might do. <laughs> 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 wasn't a whole lot of creative, although troubleshooting, you know, when you're troubleshooting, it's a very creative process. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah so it's problem solving, right? Yeah. Um, which I think a, a large part of creativity is about that too. Um, so yeah, that's, did that answer it? Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so for those of us who want to stay connected to this work you do, how can we find you? Um, I have a website at carloalcos.com. I'm on Instagram at carlo underscore alcos. Um, my Outsiderness documentary project also has its own Instagram account, and it is outsiderness underscore doc. And one more thing, if I may, uh, I just started a Substack, and so if you don't know, Substack is a. I don't know a whole lot about it, but it to, it it seems to be a hybrid of newsletter and blog. Um, so I just started a Substack there. So outsiderness.substack.com is where I'm going to be doing some basically some journaling, some writing along the way. I haven't. I used to write. I, I was a writer and an editor for many years. Um, and so I haven't done much, if anything, in recent years. So I'm really looking forward to getting back into some writing. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Carlo, for telling us your story, giving us a little bit of a window into the multifaceted creator that you are. Well, thanks for your interest. Yeah, have a wonderful day. You too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to the Vibrant Basin Podcast. I'm your host, Shana Jones. Vibrant Basin is produced by the West Kootenai Regional Arts Council. Thank you to our sound technician and editor, Carlo Alcos, and our producer, Kaylee Linz, with production support from Margaret Tessman and Natasha Smith. Thank you to the Government of Canada and United Way British Columbia for their support of this project. You can find all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform or the West Kootenai Regional Arts Council website, We'll be releasing a new episode for you every two weeks. Stay tuned and stay vibrant.